This episode is brought to you by Rev1. Rev1's mission is to help entrepreneurs build great companies. As you navigate the waters of business entrepreneurship, you don't have to go it alone. A strategic partnership with Rev1 connects innovators to the talent, customers, space, and funding you need when you need it. Get started with Rev1 Startup Studio by visiting rev1ventures.com to learn more. Again, the website is rev1ventures.com. Six One Four Startups Nation, welcome to another episode of the Six One Four Startups Podcast. Man, I've been doing this for five years, but this time around, I feel a little rusty. Took a couple weeks off, but I'm back in my favorite seat. Now, you may not recognize this seat because I've switched to my home studio in an effort to put out more content for you guys. And so, home studio episode one, I had to bring a very special guest to you guys. I've gotten to know this man over the last what couple of weeks at least. All right, we've done breakfast meeting, lunch meetings just within a couple of weeks、uh, span, and that doesn't normally happen. It's because this man has so much information, and he's going to give this information to you today. So I hope you're hyped. I hope you're excited. Thank you for tuning in. Today's guest is James Rores of Flores Group. James, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Great to be here. Love the energy, man. Let's make it happen. Yeah, man, you love my hype reel, right? But you are <laughs> gonna live up to the hype, all right? Because you're a, you're a sales guy, you're a marketing guy, you're a guy after my own heart, and I get very excited about having these kinds of conversations. But I've gotten to know you; the audience maybe hasn't. And so, let's talk about your professional and personal background. Yeah, well,、um, I don't think of myself as a sales guy. I think of myself. As someone who practices sales as a leadership competency,、uh, and that was developed over thirty years、uh, in biz,、um, I was raised fourth generation entrepreneur, and got my start after grad school in nineteen ninety one. And it's funny because I left grad school.、Uh, I can look back and say this now: I left grad school、uh, essentially unemployable.、Uh, I had the arrogance of my MBA, the arrogance of my youth, and the arrogance of having been raised a fourth-generation entrepreneur. So I was just kind of out there looking for opportunities, and、um, left left school with a business plan, did not get funded, and so did the next best thing. I became a consultant, and did that for、uh, some time until I became、uh, interim executive at a couple of startups, some of which I co-founded. Had a couple early exits, and that、uh, led me、uh, back to Boston, where I had、uh, received my degree, and I got involved in a bunch of other venture-backed startups. And over those fifteen years, those formative fifteen years,、uh, I was with eight different companies. We had four exits, two IPOs, and it was a very high-pressure, exciting time.、Uh, high, and it was a chance for me to really refine my skills. Um, you know, in a in a way that condensed a lot of learning into a short period of time and a lot of success in a short period of time. But at the end, as you can imagine,、uh, the story wasn't as great. I burned out and、uh, had to had to refine,、uh, rebuild that foundation underneath me and my family, and then the rest is history. Yeah, man. All right. So I got to dig into this four generations. Of entrepreneurs, so let's go through the lineage here, man. What what kind of entrepreneurs、yeah. do we have?、Uh, name some of the businesses that are part of your lineage. 
Well, I'll tell you what, it's uh, my great grandfather came over from Greece. So my father's background is Greek. My mother, uh, her side is German, Dutch. And uh, we li- we grew up in Buffalo, New York, and uh, that's where the family settled. And so it's interesting when my great grandfather came over at that time, folks, would, the men would come over. They would make their fortune and then send for the rest of the family. And there was some wonderful um, and some tragic stories about how that occurred in the family. And there's a lot of, um, you know, depth and uh, and um, in the stories and the legacy that, of the family and the commitment to to family, to making our way in business. Uh, when my great grandfather came over with pennies in his pocket, he ended up developing a a chain of restaurants, maybe 14 different restaurants, candy shops, restaurants, bars. Um, All the kids got one when they got married and that kind of uh, created a trajectory for the the, uh, family and a legacy of entrepreneurship. And so everyone I grew up with, uh, either in my family or around my family in our, in the Greek community, were essentially entrepreneurs. We were either entrepreneurs or doctors or attorneys or engineers. I mean, that was basically it. Um, and uh, it was a real rich uh, connection to your heritage. And it was something that um, uh, you don't know it when you're going through it, but looking back, you realize what that meant. And it created a work ethic and a drive and a desire for me that really uh, allowed me to kind of set out on my own and make things happen. Yeah, now, I, you know, I, 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 I need to get thicker skin about this whole sales thing, because right out, out of the gate, I'm mm. like, wait, 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 what do you mean you don't view yourself as a salesperson? As a sales guy, I want everybody to call themselves a salesperson. So what do you mean yeah. by, hey, I don't see myself as a salesperson, I see it as a, a, a leadership competency? I think that's what I heard. Right. Break that down right. for us. Right, right, right. Well, look, the... um. The most important thing uh, a sales organization, uh, sales leader, sales team can do for a company, uh, their number one job is to make the unpredictable predictable. So I certainly recognize that when you're building an organization, you want someone running your sales organization who understands sales. And at the end of the day, it's not about closing deals. It's, and certainly in startups, when we're creating that uh, product market fit and establishing that um, that um, recognition in the market and understanding of the customers early on. Yes, it's about closing those early deals, but very quickly we have to move from that having that hero mentality where I can show up as an individual and make things happen. And I have to move now to a systematic approach to taking something that we can't control, the buyer's decision, and making it predictable and repeatable. Uh, so I look at sales as a leadership competency because in sales, it's a game of probability, not a game of perfection, just like life. And so what we have to do is build a systematic approach that gives us as much control as possible over something that we can't control, make it predictable and repeatable, and give the business that we're supporting the opportunity to create budgets, and uh, meet forecasts that allow that business to plan and invest in future growth. So you have to look at yourself as more than simply someone who drives a transaction. So 
you know, it's bigger than sales. We actually think of sales folks who adopt this mentality as growth multipliers. I'm not just creating a transaction. I'm multiplying growth for the business that I'm working within and for my clients at the end of the day. And that was that was something that took me 15 years to come to realize and a pretty um, significant, um, I call it a velvet two by four moment. It's a significant life occurrence that made me kind of wake up out of the uh out of the kind of malaise that i was in that path that i was on and uh, kind of look for a new way to build this build this career this sales career that i had built for myself in a, in a way that was going to be healthy for me and a way that was going to be enjoyable for the rest of my life and because the the, the path that i was on while it was enriching um and it and it made the people around me happy because we were successful. Um, ultimately, it was not sustainable. And that's the one piece that ha that has to be part of any sales organization or approach to sales. We have to be thinking about that sustainability, which is why that growth multiplier concept makes such great sense. And so the cat is now out of the bag, James. We are going to be talking about sales on this podcast because sales is absolutely critical for businesses, uh, whether a traditional small business, large corporates, or in the startup world, which is where we're going to spend most of our time. But uh, you mentioned some early successes, but not every company made it to the exit. Let's talk about viewing those companies from the lens of a system, uh, because we've already started to touch on this idea of a system. Was it always, was the system always the difference maker? Or now did we have to kind of consider the idea, the team, the, the, the sales process, understanding the customer, just, just a quick bit of reflection here yeah. on all of those companies you worked on, the ones that were successful and the ones that weren't. What were some of the difference makers? The, the, the biggest difference is when you're, when you're starting out, whether it's a venture-backed startup or a, um, a uh, self-funded business, um, it, it doesn't matter. Early on, the requirement is to create transactions to, to generate cash flow. And early on, what we look for are people who can stand up and be heroes, right? So if you're starting the business on your own and you're the founder, regardless of whether you're venture backed or not, you it's up to you to become that hero, uh, close those transactions. But at some point you have to change your mindset away from the transaction to a system. And the businesses that, that we worked with that didn't make it now they didn't make it for a number of reasons typically bad timing poor product market fit etc but a lot of that was um that certainly wasn't helped by not changing from that hero mentality or mindset to a systems mindset because what ends up happening is if you continue to scale your organization by looking for heroes what you end up creating is a is an organization that has maybe maybe uh, two or three out of 10 folks can actually hit their number. Then you have a bunch of people in the middle that come just shy of their number every year or every month or every quarter. And then you've got a bunch of folks that are poor producers or laggards. And we keep them around because we have no idea really how to hire well and how to hire for the system. So we keep them around because we're, we're hopeful that they'll bring in uh, a bluebird or something will happen. And instead of looking at that organization as a potential system where, let's say you got 10 people 
all following the same sales process, all being held accountable to the same accountability framework, all optimizing the same sales pipeline, if they're all working together on the same process, then I, as one of those 10, can count on the other nine folks to be executing the same system I'm executing, improving, innovating, responding to the market dynamics and changes, all as one unit. We're working as a team of one, and we can elevate our understanding of how to sell and how to capture market share much more faster than, or much faster, I should say, than if we're treated as a, as a group of heroes that are all gonna do their own thing. And we all kind of create our own black box in that case, our own way of doing things. And when you when you shift someone out of that group, you then have to replace them with a hero. And guess what? You're replacing them with somebody who brings in a different system. And imagine doing that now with a sales leader who comes in and brings it and builds a black box, allows everyone to do their own thing. And even if that sales leader uh, implements some systems themselves, when they leave, they leave behind a huge gap because the system has not been uh, codified for the organization. And then the next leader comes in, changes the system, disrupts the organization, and you have you have you take two steps back before you can take a step forward. What we want is the organization to own the systematic approach and make the individuals interchangeable. That's what accelerates revenue. That's what builds value. And that's where we want to be. And that's the secret. Uh, and that's something I learned the hard way over those 15 years. Now, you mentioned, and maybe I missed this as you were sharing this with me, um, but, you know, kind of after the, uh, the, the, you left college with a business plan, that didn't work out. You became right. a consultant. At that point, is that when the Florist Group started? Or what's the genesis of the Florist Group? What's your path towards owning your own consultancy focused on working with venture-backed startups? Yeah. Uh, thanks for asking. I mean, it, it's there's a lot of learning involved. Uh, I started consulting because I, again, couldn't find the job that I wanted. So I started helping family businesses that were looking at uh, generational trans transitions, help, helping them make those happen. That's something that I lived through in my family business. Um, so I had some I had some immediate connection with those with those families and had a lot to offer from my experience and, of course, from receiving my MBA. But very quickly, I, I got into technology. In 91, uh, the internet was something that we didn't understand. Um, in the early 90s, we didn't know if, if e what eBay was and if it was going to make any money. And everybody thought Amazon was a joke at that time. And so we were just trying to figure out the internet. And I just decided that technology was where I needed to be. So I uh, got into, I co-founded a couple companies early on. One was uh, an early stage CRM offering uh and then um that exited we exited that at the end of the, at the end of the decade 97 co-founded a uh, early uh email um pop three type uh offering that um we ended up uh, we ended up going public in 97 and um, those gave me some great experiences that led me back to boston and allowed me to join a uh, more substantial uh venture back company that then went public and uh, was sold and then went public in 2000 for about a $1.7 billion valuation. So I was able to kind of, I recognized tech was a place to be. I was part of the early stages of understanding tech. And every job I took leapfrog, allowed me to leapfrog in tech, technology from just early email and online gaming to object-oriented databases to early on demand 
um, business models that later became SaaS models. And so I was able to be part of that real dynamic time in history all the way through 2004. Uh, what happened uh, in 04, and this is something, um, this is where the story really begins. Uh, it was uh, December 31st um, of 2004. I had been working with a company for about uh, 11 months. I joined in February. At the end of the year, I was 330% of my number. I was top rep worldwide out of 100 reps. And uh, I was uh, reclosing a client um, with my boss and my global VP listening in on a phone call. And at that moment, uh, I was on stage, right? I was the hero. I was on stage. And I was doing my best to prove myself again to my boss and my global VP. And I had no regard whatsoever for the client that I was reclosing. This client had already put a sub substantial amount of money down on a deal. He was even willing to walk away from that money in the deal just to get out of the contract. And my job was to not let him go. And while I was doing my thing, I was feeling more and more physically ill. And by the end of the call, I was burping up stomach acid and uh, recognized that there was something wrong with what I was doing and the why behind what I was doing. So I became, over those 15 years, that classic salesperson who you that mercenary right eight companies over 15 years i was that mercenary who could come into an organization and very quickly understand how to be successful and be that hero certainly a ton of pressure to do that to restart over and over again and the only thing that my vp my global vp of sales could say to me at the end of the year after just put more pressure on me and i realized at that time that i was I had gotten sucked into, and I allowed myself to get sucked into the dysfunction of most sales organizations, which is we look at these people, salespeople, as um, as um, objects. We dehumanize the profession by looking at us as transactional, uh, money-driven, coin-operated human beings, and. Um, we, we view salespeople as interchangeable. You're only as good as your last, the last quota that you were able to achieve. And when you build an organization that way, that's highly transactional, and you, and you view them as less than, uh, then they treat the market the same way, just like I was treating that customer that I wouldn't let go. Uh, and that, that is not a sustainable way for any human being to operate. I was able to do it for 15 years, but no way I could do that uh, for the rest of my career, rest of my life. Uh, so the next day I hired a life coach. I became functional within six months. I recognized that every CEO and sales leader I had ever met needed a different way to pursue growth. And what I did very quickly was adapt, adopt the servant leader principles and apply them to sales. And then a year later, founded my company and uh, went out on my own and with, with the mission of taking what I had learned how to be successful over those 15 years, marrying it with this concept of servant leadership and building the growth multiplier mindset. And have, I've been taking it to businesses ever since. All right, man. And, and, and you know, th this is so common, especially with founders that take the 
um, you know, the employee route. It's very rare to find a founder who's never worked for someone else. And a lot of times I hear this story about you just get to a breaking point, right? That phone call where you're like, man, I need to do something different. But this is my first time hearing that somebody in that process of finding out what that different would be hired a coach. What was it about that time in your life that prompted you to say, you know what, this is not, this is probably a journey I shouldn't be going on alone. And I need to reach out to somebody who can help guide me. You know, that it's, it's a real, that's a real, it's a great question. It's a very personal uh, question. Um, and, uh, you know, I think like, like anyone who hits rock bottom and I, I hit rock bottom emotionally and physically at that time, um, you know, oftentimes when that person gains awareness and looks back on their life, they see multiple times that they could have, <laughs> they could have recognized that they're on the wrong path, right? So this, this idea that those um, signs, those signs were there. It's just, uh, I wasn't ready to receive them, right? So there was some combination of circumstances and events that just clicked at that moment. When I hung up that phone, I just knew I couldn't sustain what I was doing. It, it was, it was ultimately, it ultimately worked against all the core values I had been raised with in terms of valuing people, valuing family. And I had, I had, I had pushed aside all the things that were important to me at my core for what I believed to be important, which was money, recognition, success, et cetera, my version of success. Um, so I, you know, I think over a beer, I think we can talk about those personal stories and maybe want to have a separate episode on that one, man, I'd be happy to go into it, but I can tell you that looking back, there are, there were a ton of signs that I could have received that I didn't. And it took this event to just, to just make it impossible for me, for me to continue. And um, I can't tell you where the idea of hiring a life coach came from. In, in 04, the industry was fairly young, uh, but I, I found a guy, I found a profile, interviewed him on the phone, hired him immediately. I uh, went downstairs, told my wife what I had done. She didn't know anything, what I was going through. And the journey, the journey of self-awareness started there, man. It was, it was pretty interesting. Well, you can't take these Oprah moments away from me, James. I almost <laughs> had my first Oprah moment on 614 Startups. Oh, Listen, we'll have that beer and we'll talk <clears throat> about it. All right. So we'll pivot to a, something a little bit more lighthearted, but serious still. So you, you go through this journey of exploration. You start Floris Group. What's the value pr proposition of Floris? And then, you know, who have you helped and how do you help them? Yeah. Well, um, so the value proposition goes back to what I, the observation that I made earlier in the conversation, you know, the, the role of sales is to make that decision that we ultimately do not control that buying decision, making that more predictable and repeatable. Um, and so you can't do that by just showing up and winging it. You've got to have a systematic approach. So our value prop early on was, was really about, was really focused on the pipeline. In fact, I called myself, early on the pipeline coach. And for folks that knew me back, uh, back way back when, um, 
here in Columbus, uh, I was called the pipeline coach. Uh, and oh, by the way, part of that part of that transformation in 06 was moving here to Columbus from Boston. So we actually uh, we actually visited uh, sometime in April in 06 uh, on a Friday. We saw 14 houses on a Saturday and I, we bought number 12 on Sunday. So we we do exactly where we wanted to be and what we wanted to be doing when we made that transition. Uh, but it was all about the pipeline. And it was all about, you know, creating some rigor in the system. And it wasn't about looking at the sales team, any individual in the sales team, and, and, and trying to convince them that they needed to change or that they were doing a poor job. Um, I really want to be a champion of the salesperson because I understand how hard the job is. And I also understand uh, the toll that a poorly managed sales organization can take on the human beings involved in the sales process as well as the company and the dreams that can be dashed when that sales organization misfires and is allowed to continue to misfire so i didn't focus i i, I certainly focused on training and developing individuals but it, what the message wasn't you stink the message is think of how much more productive we can be if we are all executing the same game plan if we're all perfecting the same process if we all are learning the same methodology and we're all understanding how to adjust to the market as we go, leveraging that same system. So it's really about transforming a group of individuals, a gang of self-interested individuals into a team of people who are unified, right, by a shared goal and they're all walking that shared path to change. And that's essentially how we apply the servant leader model to sales. Salespeople engage their customers uh, for whom they can deliver a shared goal. In my world, my ideal customer is somebody that wants growth. Uh, that, is, that ends up becoming our shared goal, their definition of growth. And then as the expert, I walk them down or lead them down a shared path to, of change to get to that goal. Every salesperson can apply the same universal approach to selling. And so that's what we mean by sales as a leadership competency. What is the shared, what is the goal that we can both share and allow me or let me take that leadership, that mantle of leadership and walk you as the client down this shared path to change. Um, it's much different than the way most people approach sales, which is um, they, they understand that their experience with salespeople is negative. They think that customers look at them with a negative view they approach sales on their heels right really unsure of uh, what to expect they end up kind of wanting to be liked and end up delivering very little value and end up showing up to the world as more as order takers versus order makers folks that actually can take control of a buying cycle and actually help both the customer and the company achieve its objectives yeah, I, I think, you know, having that clear understanding when you're going in to work with a client is very important because that really set expectations, right? We mm -hmm. are for, for in a lot of cases as salespeople, managers of expectations, because it's one thing you can go in, understand the customer need and promise a lot of value. But if you don't live up to that, that's also an issue. So, James, fascinating conversation. 
we're, we're coming up to a break, so I'm going to take a break to hear from our sponsors. But when we get, when we get back, we're really going to dig into kind of that sales 101 and starting with the sales mindset. All right, folks, you're listening to my conversation with James Roris of Flores Group. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Support for the 614 Startups podcast comes from Nationwide. Nationwide's mission is to protect people, businesses, and futures with extraordinary care. To help fulfill that mission, Nationwide is looking to invest its $350 million venture capital investment fund in InsureTechs that will help them create new and exciting products and solutions to meet the needs of their customers. If you're interested in partnering with Nationwide's venture capital team, visit nationwideventures.com to learn more. Again, the website is nationwideventures.com. Nationwide is on your side. This episode is brought to you by KJK. Tired of the billable hour? KJK has a solution. The KJK GC Advantage program offers businesses comprehensive legal services in the areas of employment, corporate services, real estate, trademark, intellectual property, and estate planning, all for a set monthly fee. KJK serves as their clients' partners in business, not just their lawyers. Along with cost certainty and predictability, the KJK GC Advantage program gives clients peace of mind, knowing their projects will be handled quickly and efficiently, maximizing the return on investment on their legal spend. So don't go it alone. Let KJK help. Learn more by visiting KJK.com. 614 Startups Nation, welcome back. Thank you for hanging in there with us. I have James Rores of Flores Group, and we're about to go deep into sales. So James, people are on the edge of their seats. They want your expertise. They want to know how what you know can help them transform their organization into a sales organization. But we got to start with some definitions. So what is sales? Yeah. Um, so we define it in a very, in a very, simple way right and we and we tend to do this because we work with folks often founders um, who sell because they have to not because they love to and we work with salespeople who sell because they love to um, and so we want to we want to develop an approach that works for everyone and the best way to do that is to make sales intuitive right let's get away from this idea that sales is a is about the transfer of enthusiasm you got to get yourself hyped up and overhype and get folks excited. And, you know, there's this bro dude kind of approach to sales and selling that, you know, is popularized in the movies. It sells movie tickets, but um, most of us aren't built that way. If that, if that way of selling is consistent with who you are and how you want to show up to the world, go for it. Most of us are not. Most of us have core values that are more aligned with servant leadership where we don't want to force you down a path you don't want to go we want to find where we what we have in common right we want to qualify you into uh the into into a into our pipeline meaning qualify you as somebody we can help and then do our best to help you now we're not just serving we're also leading so part of this is understanding sales um, and the steps that you need to move someone through to help them make a successful buying decision we're not trying to help people make a decision that's gonna hurt them and help us. There has to be that requisite win-win. It has to be good for both of us. And that's what, that's what we mean by being a growth multiplier. 
you look at the world with an abundant mentality, not a scarcity mentality. And we understand that, you know, it's not a zero sum game. Sales doesn't have to be about you losing and me winning. That's how I approach sales in my first 15 years. That's how most salespeople approach it. And that's how most, that's how sales is popularized in the movies. Zero sum game, Wolf of Wall Street. You lose, I win. And, and I do it until the police catch me, right? Until I go to jail. Well, congratulations. What have you accomplished in your life, right? So we don't want that. We want the, we want the understanding that if we find a customer that we can truly help, the, when, we, when we have the transaction, we both grow, right? My, my service and their dollars that they'd spend their dollars on helps them build their business, right? And their dollars in exchange for my services helps to grow my company. So there's plenty to go around. And in fact, the right transaction will multiply value for both parties. So if we take that approach, then we can, we can define sales this way. We can understand that people buy when they're ready, willing, and able to change. So this is not about us manipulating people. This is about us finding out whether someone is ready, willing, and able. Ready meaning that they have a goal they want to achieve that, they, that is compelling them to change. Willing, meaning that now is the right time because the impact of success is too great to ignore. Able to change because there is something missing, something that they don't have that they need to make that change happen that we happen to sell. And if they're ready, willing, able to change, then we can recommend our solution and move them to a successful buying decision. So people buy when they're ready, willing, able to change. We sell, quote unquote when we're ready, willing, and able to lead people to change. That's the dynamic, right? And so we have to get good at understanding if somebody is actually ready, willing, and able to change. Why do most pipelines, 50 to 60% of sales pipelines, end with the deals in those pipelines? Why do they end in no decision? Why are most sales pipelines bloated with deals that never close? It's because salespeople just allow anyone into their pipe. They don't qualify them properly. Salespeople are so desperate or they feel so desperate to talk to anyone that can fog a mirror. They'll talk to any, they'll give demos, they'll work through, and they'll, and they never think about whether or not this person is really serious about buying or serious about buying from them. So instead of taking what a buyer gives us, why don't we step up, qualify at a higher level and ensure that that buyer can convince us that moving forward together makes sense. It requires a different mindset. It requires somebody to show up, understanding themselves as a leader, somebody who can um, help the person they're talking to if the fit is correct, versus someone who's kind of just begging for business, looking for business for anywhere. Somebody that's desperate with that scarcity mentality, who probably doesn't really have a doesn't have the understanding of sales that they require. Yeah, want a and you know I pr- that can develop that. Yeah, I, I probably Sorry. asked those questions backwards because I think we can't go forward with even the definition of a thing, especially, you know, as we talk about sales, um, because the mindset portion of it is so yeah. important, right? Yeah. Like if you don't have that customer first, win-win, um, f- adding value kind of mindset, you'll get sales all wrong. So let me ask the question I probably should have asked first. Let's talk about the sales mindset then. 
what are the characteristics of the right mindset if you're going to go into this profession of sales or you're going to integrate sales as a leadership competency? Yeah, the the um, the, the most the most basic thing to think about is your perspective as a salesperson. And, and I'm talking to founders as well. So if we're talking to founders of venture-backed startups, you've got to ask yourself, you know, what is most important to you when you're engaging a customer? Are you thinking about raising your next round of funding? Are you thinking about the life-changing money that you have the potential to make? Um, is, is, is your mind focused on you and what's best for you? And are you looking at that client as really just an obstacle to get through? In other words, if they don't buy from you, they suck. And if they do, great, give me more of that, right? But if you're focused on yourself, if, the, if your worldview is about, the, about me, then you cannot show up as a customer-centric salesperson. You cannot uh, be viewed or perceived as someone who cares about the client and about their well-being unless you are really good at lying or being manipulative. And, and um, that's really what I did really well in my first 15 years. I, I practice our, the sales methodology that we teach today. I practiced that methodology, but I did it from a power leader perspective. It was all about me and what I, what I could do for myself. I was driven by my goals. Um, what you've got to do to have a proper sales mindset is you have to be thinking about the we. How do you define what's best for us? And who do you include in that group? Um, I, often, I oftentimes say that sales is a team sport. Sales requires a team back in the company that we're working within, right? I need marketing, I need product, I need customer success. We all have to be engaged together as a team to make it work. But there's also the team that's formed between me and my customer. And what's interesting about that, that dynamic is that, is that I have no authority. I have no um, you know, position that can force a client to spend time with me. I have to earn the right to lead that client. And so I can either do it as a self-centered manipulator, or I can do it as somebody who sincerely shows up authentically curious and interested in making sure that whatever decision they make is good for both of us. And so if you can do that, if, if, a sale, if a company can field salespeople who show up to the market with that kind of customer-centric belief system and a methodology that allows them to quickly move that, that uh, buyer through the buying cycle and achieve a successful buying decision. I mean, after all, we are growing companies. We are highly competitive. We are highly motivated. We're just doing it in a highly functional way. That's the first, that's the first thing to really check. And uh, we, have, we have a number of fun exercises that we can move organizations through to help them think about where are they focused? Are you focused just on you and your product? In other words, do you just show up and throw up? And you assume because you must be as smart as, as uh, Steve Jobs, right? He never asked anybody what they wanted. He just gave them the iPhone, right? And that was enough. And if you guys show up thinking you can do that <laughs> as a founder, and I understand it, founders 
they have their product, that product is their baby. And I get it. I have the same affliction in my business. But if you show up focused on you and your product, you leave out the customer. They don't feel like they're part of the conversation. We have to have so, faith. So let in me our stop you there, man, because you're, you're, like you're pushing all kinds of buttons for me right now. Okay, James, you're pushing all kinds of sales buttons. Okay, Thank so let, let's talk about. Thanks for stopping me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. You, we're, we're getting. I'm, I'm getting. I'm getting excited here. So let's talk about you because you worked in a lot of different organizations, and the the thing that you said was that each time you became a leader. Each time you were able to hit and exceed your number. How much of that would you credit to mindset, meaning having this customer centric mindset from the outset versus skill set, right? The ability to cold call, right? How to get somebody on the phone, get them interested within the first 10, 15 seconds. I feel like there's a, maybe an over-focus in traditional sales thinking on how you get them on the phone, keep them on the phone versus what you're trying to get people to understand when you start working with them is you have to have the right mindset. I'm putting you in the hot seat, right? You are the prototype, right? You're, you're drawing on your experience and, and all your other learning. How much of it was your mindset and then the skill set, the things that you had to master on a day-to-day -day basis, those disciplines, what would you credit for? What percentages would you give for your success? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. Um, to give you a bigger picture, we think in, when we think about winning habits, building winning habits, we think of mindset, skill set, tool set. If I give you a tool, it's worthless without the skills. If I... If I share with you the right skills, those are worthless unless you have the mindset to receive and apply those skills properly. So organizations that go out and buy technology and think that that's going to save their company, forget about it, right? You're wasting your money because if you, if you don't change the mindset and the skill set of the organization and then buy a tool set that matches, you're doing it backwards. If you give someone training and you haven't shifted the, their mindset, you're wasting time. They're gonna give the trainer whatever score they are, they're gonna give them. And this is why training doesn't stick for more than 20 days or whatever the latest stat is. It's because we train people who don't have a mindset that's ready to receive the information, one, and then two, convinced that applying that skill is what's gonna work for them. So it is, Think of the biggest possible percentage you can give out of those three to mindset, and that's the one I would apply to mindset. It is the end-all, be-all. And in fact, most of the work we do when we, when we get involved in helping organizations transform their sales organizations, start with mindset. And it's a process because we're not, gonna, not just going to show up and tell people what they're doing wrong and why they should think this way. We have to embrace every human being in that in that organization from the ceo founder on down and across marketing product customer success we have to get everyone on the same page and what ends up happening elio is that we build we end up creating the foundation for a growth culture um, a growth multiplier mindset that is adapted and adopted across all the folks that are in the sales and customer facing teams now i know this sounds like a big transformation. It doesn't have to be a big effort. What's interesting is if you do it right, 
it it um, the the stuff that works just travels via word of mouth. You end up shifting that mindset, and then that is what drives um, the hunger for the new skill sets and tool sets that will end up driving uh, the growth that you seek. So yeah, right, the so biggest you, possible you, percentage on mindset. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're going <clears> to <throat> give mindset anywhere between 80 and 95%, right? So now we're, we're B, <laughs> B or better, right? In terms of your success in the world of sales. Yeah. So you're trying to convince the hardest thing you could do in, in, in human behavior is to change is to give somebody the reason to change, right? A lot of times you actually don't want that to be external. You want that to come from within. So I'm going to challenge you here again, as you've worked with many, many, many people, as you're talking to them about the, the importance of mindset, um, how do you, which comes first? them trusting and trying and then having success, which then breeds more commitment to the mindset. Meaning, is it possible to say, just try it and then the success reinforces? Or is there no possibility of success unless you change your mindset first? What have you found? Because I think that's so difficult in trying to get people to really trust, right? To say, Hey, I'm the sales trainer. I don't know you from anywhere. I have this system. If you could just get this right mindset, you're going to see the success. What do you find works and what do you encourage people to practice? When you're working with when you, this step, the definition of success is really the qualifier here. What does success mean? Um, there are a lot of salespeople that just want, they just want the job to get life insurance or health insurance, you know? So, Success for them is just a job with a base pay that they can live on. Um, and then, you know, they'll close a deal here or there as, and, and they'll keep their job just barely for as long as their employer lets them stay. And there are other folks like me that were success meant, you know, life-changing money over and over again, right? I just want, I want it all, whatever I can imagine, I want it, right? And then there, and then we're, there's a bunch of folks that are in between. So, you know, the first thing that has to happen whenever we're talking about transforming an organization is we have to get everybody lined up on what that definition of success is, which is really why the organizations that succeed, um, the, that most often succeed, um, even without the help of an external uh, consultant or coach like me, it, are those organizations that are really um, built and never lose the energy around the vision that they've set and the purpose they set for that company. Companies that are purpose-driven tend to attract employees that share that purpose. And so what you end up having is a team that is aligned in terms of what the goals and definition of success is. The problem that many uh, founders and and sales leaders make when they hire salespeople is they don't account for what drives them. They just assume that everybody they hire defines success the same way that they do. Or they, they tell them how they define success, but then they ask the candidate how they define success. And of course the candidate's gonna say, oh, I define success the same way you, boss. And they hire the wrong person. So when I'm working with an organization and meeting a team for the first time, I have to align that team around a unified definition of success. And I will tell you this, 
it becomes very apparent within weeks of implementing any new um, system or idea, no matter how small it is, it becomes apparent within weeks who is bought in and who isn't. And it, and it comes down to that lack of alignment simply on the definition of success and what the, what, the, what the unified and shared goal is of that team. Imagine bringing a rookie into a football team or a basketball team or a baseball team that didn't want to win a championship. That's what we're talking about. If, you, if, if the organization is built to win Super Bowls, right? And we all know who I'm talking about, right? I'm a Boston guy and think about the Patriots. If somebody joins that organization and that, that organization's goal is to win a championship every year, somebody joins it without that goal, how long do you think they're gonna last, right? The mistake that we make is that we don't understand our identity as an organization and therefore we, bring, we don't know who to hire to fit that identity. We don't know, they don't, they don't sell to fit, they don't train to fit, we don't hire to fit. Therefore, we make mistakes and we get this group of, you know, ragtags, ragtag individuals that we have to now kind of bring together and coalesce. Does that, does that help? Yes, it, it, it helps a tremendous amount. And, you know, I, I think, we, and that's why when we first sat down to talk, our intention with this is to make it a series. We're going to take a break and then we're going to come back. I'm going to give you a final word on this issue of mindset. And then we're going to preview future episodes, right? To get people fired up to listen, because this thing is really layered. I mean, mindset, we're giving it 80 to 85%. But even with that final 20%, you know, you have very important components to really build a successful sales organization. So James, hold that thought, man. You're going to get the final word after we come back from these, this break. Thank you guys so much for joining us on another episode. We're going to continue after these messages from our sponsors. Support for the 614 Startups podcast comes from Book & Street. Book & Street provides finance and accounting solutions for startups in the Midwest and beyond. From strategic financial support to bookkeeping and everything in between, they've got your back office covered. Let their experienced team of finance and accounting professionals help your startup get it right, right from the start. Learn more at Book and andstreet.com and set up your free 30-minute consultation with their team today. Today's episode is sponsored by the City of Dublin's Division of Economic Development. The City of Dublin provides world-class tailored business services and resources to ensure the best possible environment for businesses to recruit talent and thrive. Because of this strategic focus and commitment to employer growth, Dublin is the only accredited economic development organization in the state of Ohio. The City of Dublin supports startups and entrepreneurs by offering targeted resources and training programs to grow companies that are financially sustainable, innovative, and committed to creating jobs. Learn how other businesses depend on Dublin. Visit thriveindublinohio.com. 614 Startups Nation, thank you so much for hanging in there. We're going to bring this thing into the final leg with my man, James Roares of Flores. So we've talked about mindset, right? And for those founders who are kind of hooked on this idea, yeah, that is the missing link for me. I have not been thinking about sales the right way. What is your approach to practicing the right sales mindset? Ah, great question. Um, 
so we've, uh, in addition to everything else we've talked about, or maybe how do we put everything we've talked about together? As we've discussed, you can be a growth multiplier if you have a customer-centric view of your approach to sales and selling. We've also talked about this idea of how do you adapt and adopt a proper mindset within the organization. And I talked about this idea of being aligned on the first thing is to be aligned on what the objective is and the goal and what it means to each member of the team. So think about how you might apply that to your relationship with your customer. The most important thing that you can talk about when you're talking to a customer is not your product. People don't care about what you do. They care about, they care about the impact you can have on their business, on their lives. That's ultimately why anybody buys anything, right? It, one, of the, one of the universal truths that we live by is that whatever is born is born for growth, whether it's a human being, a business, or a, a tree. Uh, we're born to grow. So none of us, at the end of the day, makes a decision to buy something, to add something to our lives, to change our lives, if we don't think it's going to add value or take us in a direction we want to go. So the first thing that we have to understand as salespeople is, where does this person want to go? What do they want most? What they want most for themselves, for their business, for their lives, uh, what, what they most want to get away from or what challenges they most want to avoid, that's the impetus be behind their desire to buy. That has to be explored first. If you're, going to, if you're going to make sure that the person you're talking to is ready to buy. So leave the conversation about your product and services as the last thing you discuss. Make the first thing you talk about the customer and ask the question. And you can be as frank as you want. Um, you know, Ilio, I understand that you're interested in our offerings. Um, and at the end of the day, our enterprise level software, uh, while it can add a lot of value, it certainly does, in addition to the investment required, there's a lot of cost of change and so forth. And it can, it can take really a lot of effort for an organization to adapt and adopt this in the right way. Talk to me about what you want to achieve for your business that makes a change like this worthwhile for you. Find any way you want to introduce the idea, but you want to make sure that there's alignment between what that, that organization, that buyer ultimately wants and what you can bring to the table. And, and, and ask them how they feel about that challenge in front of them, right? Buying is emotional before it's rational. And help them think about, next is to help them think about the impact of success or failure or doing nothing. What kind of impact would this decision have on you, your business, the people around you? Which of those impacts matter most? Believe it or not, not everyone is driven by ROI. Most of us are driven by the other personal impacts that a buying decision can have on, on us and the people around us, people that we care about. So if you do this, wants and impacts first, you're establishing your, yourself as the emotional favorite. You're connecting with people at an emotional level. You're becoming understood by them and they're becoming understood by you. There's a mutual connection being created. There's a level of rapport and trust being established that can then set you up for the deeper, more rational conversations around needs, what's missing, and then ultimately your recommendation and your solution. But if you start talking about solutions first, then you start talking about yourself first. You're missing the chance to connect with that human being. 
with that individual. You're not establishing any kind of differentiation between you and your competition. You sound like every other salesperson out there. You may even sound really salesy. And you may end up having lots of conversations about your product, but very few of those conversations end up in another in a second meeting or a third meeting. You may present lots of proposals, but very few of those proposals ever close. You may present lots of proposals that are negotiated where price is negotiated and you're constantly lowering your prices to compete with your competition because you're not establishing any level of value with the customer. There's nothing special about that dialogue with you. And believe it or not, this whole movement to product-led growth is really designed to minimize the impact of poor selling. Let's make our product so compelling that we don't have to have amazing salespeople. We don't have to have an amazing brand. That's, that's one way to go, but it's not universally applicable and it's not gonna help most organizations be successful. So to shift that mindset, become customer-centric, focus on wants and impacts first, make sure there's alignment, qualify them into your pipeline, make sure that there's value, and then talk about the needs and solutions required to make that successful buying decision. Yeah, I mean, and you cannot stress that enough. And I, I think it's it's something just like an athlete, you know, stretches every time before they work out and they take that gradual process to building up to that one rep max. It's the same thing it feels like for somebody who desires to be a great salesperson. There's this constant reminding yourself of the focus on the client until it becomes a habit, right? There's this, this you know, kind of part of your preparation is not go in there and talk solutions all day. It's go in there and do customer discovery, which is why I am super excited that we are actually continuing this conversation as a series. And next up is that understanding your customer piece. So James, I'm excited to have you back. Some of the other topics we also have lined up in addition to understanding your customer is the importance of building a sales engine, sales leadership and sales culture, and then sales and raising venture capital. Now, everybody who is watching this is probably chomping at the bit, trying to get to that sales and venture capital conversation. But again, James has already instructed you, get the right mindset. Don't try to figure out what this conversation is, is about in terms of what it has for you, but how can this better help you understand your customer? J uh, James, I'll give you the last word and then we'll close this thing out. I'm excited to be here, my man. Um, I think anybody who's curious about how to become more successful and wants to learn more can listen to the shows and hit me up. I'm happy to chat with anybody that, um, has a question and share information. If we can uh, find something to, to support your desire to change, let us know. We'll make we'll make sure that we do our best to help. All right. Well, 614 Startups Nation, thank you guys again. I know your time is super valuable and you've spent this time with us. The way that you can help us and help others is by sharing the show. Until next time, peace. That's a wrap, folks. You can find this in all our episodes on our website, 614startups.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and all your favorite podcasting platforms. Don't forget to subscribe and write a review. If you'd like updates sent directly to your inbox, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter on the website. To engage in the 614 Startups community, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at 614startups on all platforms and join the conversation. For sponsorship opportunities and collaborations, email us at info at 614startups.com.